evangelism and, and some methods of evangelism here. We could talk about baptism because that's clearly present here and, and is a helpful passage on that. We can talk about race relations because that comes through here as well. But our purpose from the beginning when we began Acts wasn't to stop and just to look at all the issues that come up and, and get sidetracked by so many of these other things we often do. We're wanting to follow Luke's purpose and Luke's theme. So the question we have to ask here is not what he's trying to tell us about evangelism or baptism or race or any of those other things, if that's not his main point. Why did he put this in here for us to understand? And that's what we want to think about this morning. What is the main issue that this passage is about? Luke is pursuing his purpose of examining how God accomplishes his purpose. So he began, it was about, uh, Luke began by telling us, this is about seeing how God takes the gospel that he wrote about in Luke and sends it to the world, how the gospel gets out, how he advances his own kingdom. That's what he told us when he quoted Jesus in Acts 1 verse 8. How does the gospel reach the ends of the earth and continue to do so? Today, Philip is used to take that purpose one more step to see how the gospel gets from Jerusalem and God uses him to, to, as part of a bigger purpose, take one more step to getting the gospel to the end of the world. In doing this, he reminds us that the advancement of the gospel, the advancement of God's kingdom isn't our work, but it's God's work. We have a part to play, but it is God's work. So we're seeing how God is accomplishing his purpose. We are watching here as God takes the gospel and spreads it through the world. So we're going to think of three things this morning, which I've kind of put in this basic sentence, if you will, and that in the advance of the gospel, God prepares the way for the gospel to be proclaimed so that God will be found. Now, there's three things I want to talk about. Firstly, God prepares the way. He prepares the way. By drawing, firstly, by drawing the unsaved to himself. The first few verses of our text here, verse 23, 6 through 29, speak of, of Philip finding and, and being drawn to this, this Ethiopian, this, this unit. And what we find as we begin and we are recalled to, rem to remember here is that we are not pursuing God. Naturally, we do not pursue God. The biggest problem we have when it comes to salvation is we're actually opposed to God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 14, Paul writes, this is, but the natural man does not receive the things of the spirit of God. They are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. There's a number of verses there in 1 Corinthians where Paul says the same thing, that the gospel to those who aren't saved is, is foolishness. It doesn't make sense. So naturally, and we've probably all seen this, we all understand it, naturally, in one form or another, we find the gospel stupid. It doesn't make sense. Uh, and, and that's why there's so much vitriol and there's so much confusion and, and so much opposition, because we just don't see it naturally. In fact, the, the passage the Ethiopian is reading here, um, just before it. So he's reading from Isaiah 53, one of the great messianic passages of the Old Testament. And in there, in verse 6 of Isaiah 53, the, the prophet says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. 
Now, in our natural state, we may, we may like some of the things God says. We even may like some of what God shows himself to be, maybe even live by some of the things that God says, but we don't seek him. We don't seek God. We live our lives seeking ourselves and our own good. And that's true of everyone, including this eunuch, this Ethiopian who we see this morning. We don't pursue God, but God pursues us. God's desire for us is to have life. So he pursues us. He chases us. That's why Jesus came. That's why he died, because we would not go to him. So he came to us. He pursues us. The Ethiopian in this event here shows us God in pursuit. It shows us God pursuing his people, not us pursuing him. What happens here isn't because of Philip. So this, this circumstance isn't because Philip has crafted a great way to, to draw people in or found a, a great evangelistic tool that used to, to get people's attention. This whole entire episode is orchestrated by God. He does all this. This isn't about, about Philip. God had been working and God had been preparing the way for this moment, for the moment that Philip would meet this Ethiopian here. Somehow we know here because it tells us uh, in verse 27 that he is, has been in Jerusalem and he's been there to worship. So somewhere along the line in this man's life, he has found or been led to understand the, the Jewish God. And he has been pursuing God because he went to Jerusalem to worship, to be part of the feasts. So he is there because he, he now has a desire to know God. It's remarkable because where he's from was considered to be the ends of the earth. So Ethiopia, where it says Ethiopia, the Ethiopia at this time of the world is not the same Ethiopia we know, which is sort of northern Africa. It was further down, more towards Sudan, where we would find Sudan now. Uh, that's where it was. So for him to get from where he was in, in Ethiopia, or where we kind of know as Sudan now, up to Jerusalem was a five-month journey. So he spent five months traveling from his home to Jerusalem. He's worshipped there. And now he is just beginning his five-month journey back from where they were at this time. Much that is remarkable about this passage. I mean, there's, there's so many things that you could draw out and see just remarkable. But the most remarkable thing, the most remarkable part about this is what has happened before this day, before now. God has given him light. Say so somewhere along the line, he has heard of God. And somebody has shown him God and he has believed the light that he has seen. And so he has been, been trying to learn and trying to understand. And he has followed that, that light and has been, been learning and following it. It led him to Jerusalem and somewhere in Jerusalem, because of his great wealth, he is able to purchase a scroll of Isaiah. You know, to have his own scroll in there means he's a man of great wealth. So he has uh, his own copy, at least a part of 
the scriptures, which he is now reading on the way. So he's got this desire now in his heart to understand who is this God that I've been introduced to. In every part, God is working and moving and drawing this man to himself. Jesus told us in John chapter 6 and verse 44, no one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up at the last day. This is why Jesus came. It's why Jesus died to draw people to himself. In fact, he says of his death on the cross, and if I, I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all peoples to myself. God is working in hearts. He is drawing people to himself. He is preparing the way for the gospel to be spoken, for the gospel to receive. God is working in hearts right now. Just like God had been working in the heart of this Ethiopian before Philip found him. God is working in the hearts of the people around us right now. People we know. God has orchestrated this whole event, not Philip. As I read this, it, it's, you know, in my mind, it's a divine setup. Right? Philip is, is going there. He doesn't know what's going on, but God has it all done. It's, it's like Philip gets there and God says, ta-da, see what I've done? Here's your opportunity on a golden platter for you. Go. This is a divine setup. The moment Philip gets there, he's not just reading anywhere in Isaiah. He is reading perhaps one of the most beautiful passages in Isaiah of Jesus in Isaiah 53. So he's sitting there in the chariot reading an Old Testament scripture about Jesus. So if ever, you know, the, the moment, this is one of those, it just so happened moments. He's there at that right moment. The man is ready to understand. And when Philip says to him, you know, what are you reading? You know what he says? No, how can I? Someone needs to tell me. Like, could you, could you get a more perfect environment than that? Philip arrives, God has so been preparing this man in his heart to understand the gospel that when Philip comes there, he's saying, can you just tell me who this is? What is going on? God is preparing the way for the gospel by drawing the unsaved to himself, but also by using his people. God will use you. He will. Interesting that this episode begins with an angel telling Philip to go. Begins at you know, verse 26. Now, an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise and go. Philip is able to do, the angel is not. The angel is not able to present the gospel to this Ethiopian. Yeah, otherwise, why would God bother doing all of this? Why would God? Uh, bring uh, Philip all the way down there into the desert. This is probably one of the quietest roads that he could take in that, that area. So he's in the middle of nowhere. And then when it's done, why doesn't God send uh, an angel to the coastlands of Israel instead of miraculously whisking him away to where he needs to go? Philip is able to do what an angel can. When we've been given the 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 great joy, the great privilege of presenting the gospel. God has placed in our responsibility something he has not placed in the responsibility of the angels. 
to share the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. We are ministers of the gospel. And that's where the Great Commission is, is all about. It's about his authority. It's about his power being given to us so that we can minister for his purpose. One of the verses that has marked my life for so long in Romans chapter 10 and verse 10, it says, for with the heart one believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not put, be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. The same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. God will use you. So be ready and be willing. Be ready and be willing to be used by God to share the gospel. God calls Philip to go for a reason. He doesn't make it clear. So when the angel comes and, and tells Philip, you need to go out here to this deserted road, he doesn't say why. At first, he doesn't even say who you're going to meet. He doesn't say why. He doesn't make it clear. What is clear, though, is when he's told, go, God wants you to go here, Philip goes. And at every point in this story, when the opportunity arises for Philip to obey, Philip obeys and he goes and he is ready and he is willing to do what he is asked to do. Obedience to God's command is important. We need to be ready to serve God. Second Timothy chapter two, verse 20 and 21 say, but in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay some for honor and some for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, and that's the previous things he's been talking about, the sin and things in our life, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. As we keep our life in order, as we keep pursuing God who has saved us, be ready to go whenever and wherever God needs us. You know, often we fear sharing our, our faith because we think we have to do all the work. I've got to explain the gospel. I've, I've got to go through the whole thing. I've got to answer all of these questions. I've got to do this. And we, we build up in our mind that if we're going to share the gospel, that whoever we're sharing the gospel with isn't going to understand anything. And, and we've got to kind of start cold. That's never the case. It's never the case. Perhaps God has already been doing the work. God has already been preparing, working. Perhaps God is using you as part of the preparation work. Maybe you're one step in the chain that is going to, to lead to that person who will finally see the fruit. God is using us not only to prepare the way, but to bring people to Christ. So God prepares the way by drawing people to himself, by using his people for the gospel to be proclaimed with boldness. Verse 30, as Philip meets the man, it says here, so Philip ran to him 
and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, how can I understand unless someone guides me? And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. The place in the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter and as a lamb before its shearer is silent. So he opened not his mouth in his humiliation. His justice was taken away and who will declare his generation for his life is taken from the earth. So the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask you, of whom does this prophet say this, of himself or of some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning at this scripture, preached Jesus to him. God prepares the way for the gospel to be proclaimed with gold boldness as God's word is powerful. God's word is powerful. Put yourself in Philip's shoes. So Philip is being asked much perhaps like we would if, if God came to us and said, uh, go, go over to that, that red car over there and ask them if they understand what they're reading. And we're expected to walk over, knock on the window, have them roll in and say, do you understand what you're reading? And they're going, well, you know what? I have this Bible in my hand and I'm reading. I have no idea what it means. This is, this is the situation Philip is in. And not only that, this is a rich caravan. So it's not just a chariot and a simple chariot. This is an ornate chariot in a caravan of chariots and people because he is a rich man, a representative of Ethiopia. He is on his way. So he's having to run past everybody else, catch up and kind of, you understand what you're reading in there? I can hear you because it was normal back then for them to read out loud. So they'd read out so he could hear what they were, were reading. I mean, it's a, a kind of an embarrassing situation to be put in. Philip, Philip doesn't know what God has been doing. Philip doesn't know what's going on in that chariot. He doesn't know why this chariot is going from Jerusalem to there. Why was he in Jerusalem? He doesn't know any of that. He doesn't know this man was in Jerusalem worshiping God. He knows nothing about this man. He knows he needs to go and share the gospel with him, and that's all he knows. So he runs up and he begins the conversation. And he asks him, God's not going to send an angel to you and tell you to be a witness. But like Philip, the spirit will direct you to people. You many of us probably know a time when we felt compelled to speak the gospel. Maybe it was the conversation as it went and somebody said some things and we, we knew in our heart and mind, this is my chance, this is my time to say something to them about the gospel. I can see they need to hear it. We, we know those, those times. We've, we've felt those times to be compelled to speak and maybe we took those opportunities and maybe we didn't. Power running through all of this is the work that God does through his word. The eunuch is reading God's word. Philip uses God's word. So much of our boldness in evangelizing and sharing the gospel comes from believing that God's word is powerful. That when we use God's word, when we quote God's word, when we read God's word, when somebody reads it, been prepared that it is powerful. Isaiah, just a little further from where he's, he's reading here in chapter 55, verse 11, God says, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. This, God's word is never wasted. You never, ever waste God's word when you read it or you speak it or you share it. It is never wasted. 
God always uses it for his intent and his purpose. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12 says, For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and the joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. God prepares the way for the gospel to be proclaimed with boldness. So pray for boldness. Pray for boldness. You might say, read this, say, well, you know, that's not me. I'm, I'm not the person who can just say it. I'm just not the person. You know, I'm not the person who could just walk up to somebody and say, can I tell you about the gospel? Or do you know what would happen if you're going to go, if you died today? I, I, I can't do that. That's, that's, just, that's just not me. I'm not good. Even in private conversations, I stumble over my words and it's, I'm just, it's not me. I don't have the gift of evangelism. It's just not me. Well, it's not always like that. Much, probably most of our witnessing will be done with people we know. Relationships we already have. Regardless of how the opportunity arises, we all need boldness to take the opportunities. To speak Jesus Christ in those opportunities. The wisdom to know how to use that opportunity. What should I say? How should I address it here? How do we become bold witnesses for Christ? I think Paul gives us a good example. The end of his passage in Ephesians 6, where he talks to us about the, the armor of God. He says in Ephesians 6, verse 19, and for me, that is, uh, now I've, I've told you about you now, now please consider me in these things. He said, for me, that utterance may be given to me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. That is, would you pray for me that I'll know, know what to say and when to say it, and that when those opportunities come up, I will be bold to say it. But you hear that? The great apostle Paul, the one who we think, man, he's got no problems. He's willing to be stoned. He is asking people, pray for me to be bold. Even the early church was praying for boldness. We saw that in Ephesians chapter two and Ephesians chapter four. They prayed, asking for boldness. Are we praying for boldness to speak the gospel? And asking for the wisdom we need in using those opportunities. God is preparing the way for the gospel to be proclaimed with boldness and with purpose. So that people will understand. Philip's first question is important. He comes and he says, uh, uh, do you know what you're reading? Do you understand? Because of our spiritual state, because because of our blindness in our natural state, spiritual things just don't make sense. And that's where this eunuch is. He doesn't understand. It doesn't make sense. He's also confused here. The reason he asks, who does it speak? Is it of him or is it somebody else? Because the Jews were uncertain. They, they were confused. They, they, was Isaiah speaking here about himself? Was Isaiah talking about a prophet? Was he talking about a Messiah to come? They were all, there was all different theories through the Jews. And so he hadn't gotten any clear answers in his own pursuit through the Jews because they didn't know. Says, who is this? Who is this about? The question that helps Philip understand where the eunuch is at. The conversation doesn't start with, tell me about Jesus. It starts with, 
I don't understand what this is about. I don't understand what this is about. Most of our conversations aren't going to start with somebody coming to us and saying, tell me about Jesus. Sure, sometimes it happens, but not often. Most of our conversations with people about the gospel are not going to start with, tell me about Jesus. They'll start with a need to understand who God is and what God does. So the conversations we're going to have about Jesus in this world are going to start with questions like, why do bad things happen to good people? Or how do I get through to my teenager? I'm struggling in my relationship there. Or I've just found out I've got cancer. Why would your God do this? That's how they're going to start. They're going to start by saying, I don't understand. In some way or another, they, they don't understand who God is and what God is doing. And you are the one to lead them to understanding. This is who God is. This is why our Bible study is so important. Our, our own personal study of God's word. Peter writes, but sanctify the Lord God in your heart and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you of a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. That is prepare yourself. Be ready. You know, because I, I speak so often, sometimes I, I have the opportunity to, to give some people advice on speaking and particularly people about stage fright. How can you stand and speak in front of people without being so, so scared? And there's a lot of things you can tell them. But one of the things to tell them is this. Know what you're going to talk about. Be confident in what you're going to say. If you know what you're going to say, that takes away a lot of the nerves when you get there. Say, I know what I'm going to say. I know what needs to be said. And that's true of our witness with the gospel. Know the gospel. Know God's word. The more we take God's word in, the more we fill our lives with the word of God, the more we will have to give out when people ask us, why did God do this? And we will be able to answer those questions. We'll help them to, to understand so that they can see Jesus. Verse 35 says, then Philip opened his mouth and beginning at this scripture, preached Jesus to him. Philip starts where the eunuch is at. He says, all right, here's where you're at. This is who you And then he leads him from there to Jesus. Literally, it's what it says is he gospeled him. This, he showed him how his circumstance, how where he was at could lead him to Jesus. He's not just telling stories or good advice. We need to lead people to scripture and to Jesus Christ. We do this. God prepares the way for the gospel to be proclaimed so that God will be found. Verse 36 says, now, as they went down the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, see, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? Verse 38, so he commanded the chariot to stand still. Behold, Philip and the eunuch went down in the water and he baptized him. Now, when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord caught Philip away. So the eunuch saw him no more. And he went on his way rejoicing. God is preparing the way and we are proclaiming the gospel so that God will be found firstly in hope. That people will see that in Jesus, there is life. That Jesus is life. The eunuch believes. 
We don't know how long they spent together. It's a long journey. So we don't know how long they were together in that chariot, but they in that chariot and Philip starts there where he's at in Isaiah 53 and, and maybe he takes him backwards a little bit too and certainly takes him forward, whatever he's got there and he's showing him what it means and who Jesus is. Now, for some of you, verse 37 uh, may not be in your Bible or it may be in brackets. So because it's there, let me just give a, a quick little passing by note. If you have more questions, I can answer those later. It is in brackets there, and, it, and, and some of them just put the, the verse number and, and not the verse. Don't fret. There's no conspiracy going on, no, no problem here. What it is is that in the very earliest manuscripts, we don't find this verse in it. Um, which suggests to us that it probably wasn't in the original. It seems the earliest we can find it is somewhere in the 200s, in manuscripts in the, the 200s. And, and that's okay because what it is, it was probably an addition later on to clarify what had been going on. Because uh, Luke goes through here and, and there's, it seems kind of uh, sort of staggered or jumpy there in where he goes, missing some details. So it seems it was there just to add what would normally be expected, what the church normally understood about what took place here to add it in. So it's not adding anything new or even taking anything away from the text, whether it's there or not. If you put it in or if you take it out, it doesn't change the text. The purpose is still the same. The truth is still the same. But that's just a quick passing textual note because or it's either in there or it's not, so we can't avoid it. Now, as Philip comes here and he starts taking the eunuch through here and the, the eunuch believes, finally, after all of God's, God's preparation, so after whatever length it has been in his life that God has been working in him and drawing him to go to Jerusalem to worship and, and finding this scroll and, and reading through this, God has done all of this work. And Finally, when Philip is there, he's, he's ready. He's at that moment. God's done all the work. And now all Philip has to do is say all this work that God has been doing all along. It's here. It's Jesus. The eunuch is ready and the eunuch believes. In Jesus, he finds what he has been longing for, what he has been looking for. He sees in Jesus something he didn't see in his own life, a future and hope. And it seems only natural then that he identifies with Jesus. It's a question, what's, what, what hinders me from being baptized? Why shouldn't I identify with this Jesus? Why shouldn't I give my life for him? So in front of his entourage, he publicly confesses that Jesus is Lord and Savior. Says to them all, Philip and all those there, I believe this Jesus. I believe that he died for my sins and I believe that he rose again for my salvation. We find God in hope and we preach with boldness so that we can save people find God in acceptance. Jesus saves. In Jesus, this man found forgiveness and he found new life. He learned why Jesus was led like a sheep to the slaughter. He learned why he was silent. He learned why he was slaughtered. He learned why he suffered the injustice. He learned why he suffered the humiliation and the rejection. Why he endured it all. 
Jesus endured all of this so that he could find life and salvation from sin. Jesus makes family. He found so much more than just salvation from sin. That is, of course, what salvation brings to us. It's in, in the word salvation, salvation from sin and death and condemnation. But in it, we find so much more than that. And that's what this eunuch found, so much more than just forgiveness, than just cleansing from sin. He found acceptance and he found inclusion. Things that he had longed for his entire life. This is one of the most beautiful aspects of this, this moment, of this, this passage. As a eunuch, he knew what it was like to be outcast, to be different, to be separated from society. It's probably why the, the, the emphasis here that, that Luke puts on him and on this state where he calls him three or four times through this passage, rather than referring to him as the man or as the Ethiopian, more than anything else, he refers to him as the eunuch. Verse 27, verse 34, verse 36, verse 39. They all refer to him not as Ethiopian, but as the eunuch. The question of verse 36 that he asks, having believed when he says, see here is water, what hinders me from being baptized is probably something that expresses a much deeper desire than just identification. Because the question is, what hinders me? What, what would keep me from identifying with Jesus? See, though he was a God-fearer, though he could go to Jerusalem and he could worship, because he was a eunuch, by the law, so Deuteronomy 23 that puts this in place, by the law, he could not be accepted as a full proselyte. That is, he was not allowed to go into the temple and worship. Probably the furthest he could go into the temple was the court of the Gentiles. He could not enter into the temple itself and worship with the people of God, even though he believed God as they did. He was never fully accepted. As Philip led him through Isaiah, showing him uh, Christ, he likely came to a passage just not very far in the scroll he would be reading from where he was. In Isaiah 56, which probably reached his heart deeply, Isaiah 56 in verse 3, it says, Do not let the son of the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord speak, saying, The Lord has utterly separated me from his people. Nor let the eunuch say, here I am, a dry tree. But thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths and choose what pleases me and hold fast my covenant. Even to them, I will give in my house and within my walls a place and a name better than that of the sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. In Isaiah God, through Jesus Christ, overturns the law of Deuteronomy 23 and says, while the Jews and their old way couldn't allow you in to worship in Christ Jesus, you are mine. I will give you a name. I will give you a heritage. I will give you a legacy. In Christ, he didn't just find forgiveness. He found acceptance. The one he was reading about in Isaiah, which was despised and rejected and ridiculed, is accepting a eunuch who is despised and rejected and ridiculed. 
it doesn't matter where you come from, what you've done or what you've experienced. In Jesus, you can find forgiveness, life, and full acceptance. Jesus is the way to find complete satisfaction. Finally, to find God in joy. He leaves in full rejoicing. His life is complete. Everything he's longed for, he has found. So does everyone who comes to Christ. Jesus is our hope and our joy. And Jesus sends Philip on his way, motivated by joy. God miraculously whisks Philip away. And Philip continues to serve and proclaim Christ. He moves his way up the coast. He's taken away from wherever they were on this road and whisked away further north along the coast to Azotus, or in the Old Testament was Ashdod. And it tells us that Philip then made his way up the coast of uh, Israel there, preaching in the cities. And he finds his way to Caesarea. Caesarea is a, an important town, it was a seafaring town. The gospel could easily get from there to the world. And Philip spends 20 years, probably more, in Caesarea. In the end of, of Acts, Acts chapter 1, we find Philip still there, still preaching the gospel, still spreading the gospel to those who need it. Satan has tried to stamp out the gospel in Jerusalem with persecution, but God sent the embers around the world. God is accomplishing his purpose. God is still working. God is still preparing hearts. God is still calling us to be part of his work. He's not asking you to do the work. He's done that. He did that on the cross, and he's doing that by drawing people to Jesus Christ, having been on the cross. Your job is to simply point them to Jesus. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. When we give ourselves to follow God in his work, people find what they have been longing for. Maybe in your part, you will see the fruit of that, or maybe you will be part of the preparation. But God is working. They find hope. They find acceptance. They find joy. This week, will we be praying for boldness? Will we ask God for opportunities to speak for Jesus where he has been paving the way, where he has opened the doors? Will we ask God for wisdom to know how to use those opportunities? How to lead people to see Jesus? Maybe you will be there, Philip, who gets to lead them to accepting Jesus Christ as Savior. Or maybe you'll be doing your part of God's preparation in drawing them to himself. Will we boldly proclaim the gospel. Our Heavenly Father, thank you for the example of Philip. Thank you that in Philip we see not only the boldness of a man, but we see the magnificent work of you. Of what you have called us to do, we are given a great honor, a great privilege 
simply follow the work that you are doing. So, dear God, open our hearts and open our minds and open our eyes to see the opportunities. To recognize where you're at work when those conversations and those moments arise. And then, dear God, give us the boldness and the wisdom to take them. That we might point people to Jesus. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.